is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, you all look quite nice. I think this will be fine. Um, some of you know me. My name is Debbie, as Martin said, um, and some of you will have seen my face up on the screen doing what Anna just did, um, and some of you have no idea who I am. So um, let me tell you. Uh, my husband, Rich, and I have been here at Woodside now for seven years. We have two daughters who are upstairs in the kids' work. Um, but I actually grew up in Bedford, um, going to a, a church down the road. And when I was 18, I decided to do a gap year that many of you have heard of. It was called FP or Impact. It's a year out where you serve the church, you get theological training, leadership training. Um, and I remember very clearly saying to God, Send me anywhere, God. For your church, I will go anywhere. But just please don't send me to London. <laughs> so I spent 10 years living in London. Um, <laughs> but they were a good 10 years. I did my gap year there, went to uni there, met my husband there. We had our first child there. Um, and then, yeah, we moved back to Bedford and joined you lovely people at Woodside and have been so happy here since. And I've been on the staff team now for three years and... It is such an honor to be able to bring God's word to you guys today, to, to do this with my family is a huge privilege, so thank you guys. Um, right, most of you will know, we are currently working through the book of Nehemiah in our Sunday preaching. You can find the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and today we will look at chapter six in our series called Nehemiah, A Time to Rebuild. Um, in chapter 6, we find Nehemiah about to complete the wall by placing the gates. But first, I just want to catch us up really quickly on the story so far. So, <clears throat> we have heard how Nehemiah's heart was broken over the state of the city of Jerusalem. The city walls had been destroyed when the people had been sent into exile. And now some of those exiles have returned and Nehemiah was desperate for the state of the walls. He has convinced the king to grant him leave from his job um, and provide him with the resources he needed to rebuild the wall. He has gathered those who were scattered. He has cast vision, set an operational plan in place. He has managed personal, political, and social issues and completed the wall, all but the gates. Throughout all of this, Nehemiah has faced opposition. And now, in chapter 6, having failed to destroy the wall, his enemies turn their efforts at destroying Nehemiah. They know that if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. So, Nehemiah chapter 6, called to a great work. We find Nehemiah, at the start of this chapter, at work. He is building the wall. He receives a message from Sambalat and Geshem, who I'm told if I just say those words confidently, you'll all think I've got the names right, um, who had previously stopped him, or attempted to stop him in his efforts to build the wall. And this message is asking him to come and meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And we read Nehemiah's response to them in verses 2 and 3. It should come up on the screen. Um, so it says, But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending them this message. I am engaged in a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Now... From Jerusalem to the plain of Ono, um, where they had wanted this meeting to take place, it would have been a couple of days, maybe a week and a half, that would have pulled Nehemiah away from the work and from the people, and he wasn't willing to do that. 
Not only that, but Nehemiah is aware that they're not looking for a friendly chit-chat. They are looking to harm him. In verse 3, he says they are plotting to kill him. Four times, they come with the same message. Four times, they say to Nehemiah, just leave this, leave this work, come with us. And the rebuttal comes so easily from Nehemiah. He says, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. After their fourth attempt, they send their messenger with an open letter. This letter would have been read aloud for all to hear, working alongside Nehemiah. And let me read it to you now. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 4. <clears throat> there is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest you come and talk it over with me. Quick side note, I've never heard of it a scripture that sounds more like the gossip on a playground in all of my life. Just right from the like, Geshem says it's true. And you know it'll get back to the teacher. Just, but isn't that like, it speaks to who we can be as people sometimes. Um, it's clear that whilst they wanted Nehemiah to hear this letter and it's addressed to him, what they really wanted was for everybody around him, for him to see them hear this letter. They are trying to accuse him of making himself king. They're trying to damage his reputation as a trusted leader and maybe trigger imposter syndrome in him, have him stop and question his own motives and hope that those around him do the same. The thing is, they've tried this trick before and successfully in the book of Ezra, which comes right before Nehemiah in the Bible, um, they managed to halt construction on the wall for a period of time by accusing Nehemiah of treason. But now the wall is complete, except for the gates. It's an accusation that would have spread with ease down the line of the wall. But Nehemiah isn't concerned for his reputation, because Nehemiah is engaged in a great work. He refuses them again with ease, in chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. More than that, Nehemiah resolves to work harder. Verse 9 ends with Nehemiah saying, But now, O God, strengthen my hands. When faced with reputational risk, Nehemiah was so certain of the task at hand that he increased his efforts. That just takes a certainty in your standing before God and of God's call in your life for you to push forward like that. When their attempts again fail, they set themselves now to discrediting him as a man of God. Nehemiah uh, seeks out comfort in a friend's home, in the home of a prophet named Shemaiah. Shemaiah is shut into his home. We don't know why, but he can't leave. So Nehemiah goes to him. And Shemaiah says this in verse 10. He says, let us meet together in the house of God. Within the temple, let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But Nehemiah, again, is able to see straight through the lies that the enemy was throwing at him. He knew that Shemaiah had been bought by his enemies to lure him into the temple. Out of fear for his life, they wanted him to break a holy law. Only the priests were allowed to enter the temple, and it would have been punishable by death for anyone else to do so. Nehemiah would have lost all credibility as a leader among the people. He would have been a criminal and executed. 
but he didn't allow fear to drive him out of the safety of God's will and into danger that was disguised as safety. Nehemiah then mentions other prophets who have also come against him, and as the chapter closes, he finally completes the wall. But even then, there are those in the city who continue to report on Nehemiah to his enemies outside the wall. And as the saying goes, you know what they say, friends like these, who needs enemies? Nehemiah faced intimidation. He faced lies and threats from both outside the wall, but also within the walls. But he was able to stand against them because he was confident in the great work that he was engaged in. And after 52 days, the wall was complete, securing the safety of the temple and the exiles who had returned. But I don't believe that Nehemiah's great work was complete. The book of Nehemiah doesn't end at chapter 6. So, what was Nehemiah's great work? Sorry. <clears throat> this was never about masonry. Nehemiah isn't obsessed with bricks and mortar and architecture. That's not what's driving him here. What Nehemiah is obsessed with is rebuilding the connection of God's people to each other and to their God. He knew that in the crumbling of the wall and the scattering of the people, they had lost their way. They had lost their connection to God and to each other. God, God was clearly still with his people, but they weren't able to be a city on the hill that they had been called to be. Nehemiah knew that a saviour would one day come from the city of Jerusalem, and he committed himself to ensuring its safety, both physically and spiritually. And we too have been scattered. The last 18 months, we have been unable to meet alone in our homes. And as we now as a church come back together, we rebuild and reboot, I believe that God would have us hold tight to these words. I am engaged in a great work. So, what is our great work? Well, we've talked a lot in recent months about rebooting. Rebooting how we think about church. And if you missed our Rebooted series, I would highly recommend catching up on it via our website or the Church Suite app. Um, through it, we were encouraged with the words of Ephesians 4 to each find the role that God would have us play as a member of this church body, trusting that he has equipped us for that job. It is said that the local church is the hope for the world. And I truly, truly believe this. A church that is committed to each other and to its local community and committed to the work of planting more churches is the hope for the world to know Jesus. It is God's plan. And there is another well-known saying, and this one is from Margaret Mead. It'll come up on the screen. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And if we live in all that God has called us to be, if we care for the sick, if we feed the hungry, if we clothe the cold, if we preach the gospel, and if we love people with a love that is born out of the grace of God, then people will see Jesus. They will be saved, and they will be brought into community. This is our great work. The building of the church locally and globally is our great work. You can be a Christian in exile, but it is not what you were called to. You were called to be part of something that is greater than the sum of its parts. You were called to be the church. 
When we um, first moved to Bedford from London, um, we had the classic thing of looking around a few churches, a little church tour. Um, and I remember one Sunday, we were staying at my mum's and I'd come home. Rich, my husband, is a shift worker, so he was at work. My mum was at her church. And I had been to a church, come home, sat on the floor in my mum's lounge. My baby was on the floor next to me. And I just broke down in tears because never before in my life had I not had a church home. Suddenly, for the first time ever, I felt spiritually homeless. I was just desolate. I was lost, and it was terrifying and horrible. But strangely, you look at my life at that moment externally, and things are good. Whereas three, four months previous, when we were in London, I had postnatal depression. My dad had recently passed away. We had been in a car crash. We had had mice. Our daughter had been referred to the hospital failure for fried. Everything was a battle, like Nehemiah, at every turn, no matter what we were trying to build for our family, for our church, for our future, we were against it. But I remember going to our church in London one Sunday, again on my own, with my baby, and someone greeted me at the door and they said, Debbie, well done, thank you, like, oh, so glad to see you this morning, well done for getting here. And I thought, you're kidding, like, this is the easiest thing I will do this week, <laughs> coming here coming to people who love me, who will protect me, who will care for me and uphold me. This is the easiest thing I will do. And yeah, fast forward three, four months where life has steadied itself. I am well, we are well, our daughter is well. But I don't have a church and I am lost. And I just wanted to encourage you guys today. This place, you as a people, are a lifeboat to each other and to those who come into this room. It is honestly, I was anchored in God through the church. And I am so glad that we found Woodside and made you guys our family and our home. But as we build this church, know that the Bible warns us that this isn't easy. We will face opposition as Nehemiah did. And in Acts 20, Paul is speaking to the new church as he warns them. This is Acts 20, 29 to 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Nehemiah turned away his opposition with ease, those from within and outside the wall. And I want to touch on three things from this chapter of Nehemiah that we can take to help us stand against anything that would destroy or distract us from the great work that we are called to engage with. So firstly, commit to building the church. How easy distraction comes to us, especially when the task is hard. The wall was huge, the team large. Nehemiah, although a central character in our story, was one of many building the wall. And he could have felt it was easy to excuse himself for half a week to go and have a meeting. Um, and it could be easy for us to look around the church and see giants in faith and in action and think, I'm not needed here. Would anyone notice if I wasn't here? I mean, the words we had this morning, Sharon's word, thank you, Sharon, I'm not quite sure we are, um, but to come as we are, that we are wanted by God in this place, to be honest and have integrity, right now, exactly the person you are is vital for this church. In an instant society, it can be hard to hold our focus onto a long-term commitment, commitment like building God's church, but I want to challenge you today that this meeting together it is a privilege that we shouldn't take for granted. Right now, there are those around this world 
who are being persecuted, who are being imprisoned, who are giving their lives for the gathered church. It is a radical privilege to be the gathered church. And I know, trust me, I know what it feels like on a Sunday morning. I have a shift-working husband. I work a full-time job. I have two children. And I have felt that feeling in the morning where you're like, I just want to have pancakes in my pyjamas. I don't, I don't want to do anything. But I just feel like we have to be so careful not to let this become an item on our tick list. This is more than a task that we need to complete. It is a privilege. It is our great work. And we are compelled by God to commit ourselves to it. We read in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand the throne of God. Amen. Let us run with endurance and commit ourselves to the work at hand. Secondly, we need to lay down our lives for the church. Going really easy on you guys this morning. Um, Nehemiah had no concern for his own status. He was focused only on the work he had been called by God to complete. What about us? How do you react when you fear damage to your reputation? I haven't even needed an open letter to respond out of fear in the past. Just the assumption that somebody might talk badly of me or think badly of me has made me second guess, hold back, stop myself. We can build our reputation into an idol so, so easily. We fear what people will think, and more than that, we fear what they will say of us. But this wasn't an issue for Nehemiah because he had given his life to the great work he was engaged in. The Bible is clear that we are called to lay down the idol of self. In Luke 9, verses 23 to 24, we read, And he said to all, and this is Jesus speaking now, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So let us lay down the idol of self and ensure that our concern for our reputation is never greater than our concern for the name of the Lord. And thirdly and lastly, we need to be equipped by God. And again, I think, thank you everyone for the contributions this morning. It was so encouraging to me to hear what you guys were bringing. Just this truth that God threads through our mornings, um, that we have to do this in his strength. Nehemiah in this chapter teaches us to find our strength, our safety in God. And we can ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit daily so that we can discern when a person, a narrative, a cultural idea, anything is at risk of steering us away from the church and back out into the wilderness. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. By the Holy Spirit, not by our own works or our effort or even by our own commitment, but by God's empowering and his equipping. Through his spirit, we are able to do the work. 
We have been entrusted with the work of the Lord, and we cannot do it in our own strength, but we can ask God, as Nehemiah did, to strengthen our hand for the work. We need the strength and the discernment that comes from being filled currently and daily with the Holy Spirit. So as we commit ourselves to the work at hand, as we lay down the idol of self, and as we ask God to fill us with his spirit, we can stand in the same confidence as Nehemiah did, as we say, I am engaged in a great work. And like Nehemiah, we can find strength and encouragement as we build from the certain hope of our Savior. That's it. I would love to pray for us. So if you guys would stand with me, we'll do that now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the message that you have brought this morning so clearly through every step of our morning together, Lord, that we are called to be your church together, that we are called exactly as we are, Lord, that more than that, we are needed in this church, Father, that you value us, you value our presence in this building together as a member of this church, Lord, as a family. Lord, I thank you that your grace offers salvation to all people and that your church is the instrument that you chose to use to deliver that message, Lord. I thank you that you gave yourself up for her and that we live now confident in the hope of our Saviour. Lord, we are eager to do what is good. I ask, God, that you would equip us now for every good work. I pray for those here this morning that need building in strength and confidence, those who have arrived this morning exhausted from the battle, God, weary and weak, Lord. I pray would you minister to their hearts now as you've been doing all morning, Lord. I pray that they would know their Father holding them and say that they would know their Father building them. And Father, for those of us who are um, eager and ready, Father, I pray that as we have open hands and open hearts, I trust you would put into our hands tools, Lord, gifts of the Spirit that you would have us use in this work, Father. We eagerly desire the good gifts of our Father. And as we move from this moment, let us not move on from the work we are called to. I pray that our calling to build your church would impact how we move through our days and our weeks. Let everything we do bring you joy and glory, God. Thank you for this family. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is a Woodside Church podcast.